0: Tonight, we're going to be talking about the answer to one of the most asked questions in all of Scripture. So, one of the most asked questions in all of Scripture is a two-word question that then has other things on the end of it. And the simple question is, how long? Alright? In Psalm, particularly in the Psalms, there are other places in Scripture, but particularly in the Psalms, this question is asked over and over and over again. Just... Listen to these. Psalm chapter 4, verse 2. How long will the wicked dishonor the Messiah and love what is worthless and seek lies? Psalm 6, 1-3. How long until we're healed and no longer do things that provoke God's wrath? Psalm 13. How long will it seem like God has forgotten us and is hiding His face while the enemy exalts over us? Psalm 35. How long will the Lord look on us before he delivers us. Psalm sixty two, three, how long will the righteous be attacked? Psalm seventy four ten. How long will the enemies of God scoff and revile his name? Psalm seventy nine, how long will God's anger against his people who have sinned continue? Psalm eighty four, how long will God refuse to answer the prayers of his people? Psalm ninety, how long before the Lord returns and has pity on his servants? Psalm ninety four. How long will God allow the wicked to exult and gloat? Psalm 119. How long must God's servants endure persecution? So over and over again in the Psalms, the question is, how long, Lord, is this going to last? Um, Some of you remember the sermon from Sunday. Uh, I won't ask you to raise your hand, but some of you remember parts of the sermon from Sunday. My last point Sunday was, the task is always harder than we expect. And remember Isaiah's question? When God says, you're going to go to a people and you're going to tell them and they're not going to hear, and what did, why did Isaiah say? How long, Lord? You get to revelation, even. We've already seen in Revelation chapter six, where it says, "How long will God be until He begins to avenge the blood of the martyrs? Now, we can make our own how long list. How long, Lord, are we going to have to deal with this? How long, Lord, am I going to have to suffer through this illness? How long, Lord, are we going to have to see families torn apart? How long, Lord, is it going to continue, right? What, what are some things that you're ready to see end? That you're ready to say, I wish this was no more. The election. <laughs> Politics on earth. The debate. Yeah. debate. Illness. Cancer. Kentucky basketball program. Kentucky basketball program. <laughs> <laughs> we don't have, Our Kentucky fans aren't in here right now. That's good, because we might. Yeah. We're just not the vocal ones. You're just not the, the ones that would get up and riled up at that moment. Right. But we all have our list, right? I mean, of things of Lord, how long is it going to last? You know, how much longer do I have to deal with this? Um, how, how much longer before we don't have to worry about tragic deaths? at young ages. How much longer we have to struggle with temptation? How much longer until our redemption comes? How much longer until suffering ends? How long, Lord, until we're done? The question has been ringing through the prayers of God's people for thousands of years. How long, Lord, until you finish this thing? Now, in some ways I'm glad the answer has been not yet. Because if it had been 50 years ago, some of us in this room wouldn't be born. And so there's mercy in God's prolonging, but there will come a point when it will be done. Revelation chapter 8 is a unique chapter because what it is, is a reminder of a few things for us. First of all, it's a reminder to keep praying. And we're going to go through your, your uh, the two points on your thing in a minute. but. Uh, It's just a reminder to keep praying. We're going to talk about how God answers the prayers of His people. Secondly, it reminds us that oftentimes there is a connection between the natural disasters or the fallenness of our world and the sin that has invaded it because of us. It's a reminder that those judgments that we see are for the glory of God so that He doesn't have to look over sin any longer. And the last thing is it reveals... The answer to that question of how long. And the answer to that question literally can be summed up in the words, a little longer. Um, We're officially at the age where my boys, when we go on a trip, ask, how much longer, Daddy? (laughs) Right? We went to Jackson the other a couple of weeks ago. I went to Dyersburg actually, and we were stopping at Jackson going, and we uh, it was four o'clock on a Friday afternoon, and so we decided not to go through downtown Nashville. We we're going to go around Briley. We literally got off the Briley Parkway onto Forty West, and Eli says, Daddy, how much longer is it?" <laughs> then you know it's going to be a long. Right, it's going to be a long trip. Now I did not give him the answer. According to the GPS, it says it will be one hour and thirty-two minutes longer. I just said, it'll be a little longer. Just relax. We'll be there. Right? Well, God almost, through the book of Revelation, says to those of us that say, how much longer have we got to deal with this? Just relax. Trust me. It'll be a little longer. Now, it's been a little longer for a couple of thousand years. It may be a little longer for a couple of thousand more. Or it may be a little longer for tonight. And so... The answer is be faithful to where we are And watch as he begins to bring those about Um, Here's the whole point of Revelation 8 Revelation 8 simply says That God will glorify his name By judging the world Because of the prayers of his people So the idea is The trumpet blast in chapter 8 are, Are accompanied by judgments on the world But they come because God's people Have prayed for them In chapter 8, the the physical world is affected. In chapter 9, humanity is. The trumpet blasts in chapter 8 depict God glorifying His name in response to the prayers of His people. And so here, let me give you the answers or the fill-in for your blanks there so you don't have to worry about that the rest of the time. Um, First of all, we're going to see this in two parts tonight. First of all, that our prayers will be answered. Okay, There's no... Now we'll talk about which prayers those are But our prayers will be answered And then the second thing is God will unleash wrath On the physical world Alright Our prayers will be answered And God will unleash wrath On the physical world Chapters uh, Chapter 8 is The the beginning of chapter 8 The 7th seal is open You remember the scroll The scroll had how many seals on it? Seven So when the seventh seal is open It's the last one Now what's written on the scroll? Well what's written on the scroll Is how God is going to end the world Alright The plan of God ending the world And so when the seventh seal is open It is as if it is unfurling What is going to happen at the end of time Okay And so as it's unfurling What we're seeing in the rest of Revelation is What came out of that now what's interesting is, at the very beginning of Act of Acts, of Revelation chapter 8, verse 1, we have this very interesting phrase. Chapter 7, you remember, had that interlude, God's servants are sealed, they praise the Lord. There's thousands upon thousands, multitudes upon multitudes, things you cannot even count, praising and worshiping God. And then in chapter 8, verse 1, it says, And when the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour it just stops now I will tell you I showed mercy to you today because in one of the commentaries that I looked at there were ten pages of discussion on the significance of the silence with about 18 theories about what it means I'm going to give you two alright Two things that I think are the most I love here, okay. important. All right? First of all, there are some that just say the silence comes because of what it talks about in the Prophets of the Old Testament. That when God prepares to finally judge, there is an awe and a silence that comes from the realization that this is about to happen. In uh, Habakkuk chapter 220, it says, The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence. Zephaniah 1 7. This is the one. Be silent before the Lord, for the day of the Lord is near. It's almost like the collective holding of your breath. Okay? It's one theory out there. Uh, it's the uh, calm before the storm. Anybody ever experienced that? You've been in a tornado, a really bad storm, and there is that kind of unsettling calm before that. Well, that's one theory here. Another theory is a little more interesting to me, and I think because of the rest of the passage it gives better a better answer because of the context. Another theory is that the pause in heaven is directly related to the prayers of the saints. What happens in verse 2? Well, verse 2 is kind of an interlude. The trumpet players get up on the stage if you will. You know, there's not literally a stage, but they're there in heaven. They get their trumpets ready that they've been given. And so it tells us that. I saw seven angels who stand before God and seven trumpets were given to them. But look at what verse 3 is. And another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer, and he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. Then the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it to the earth. And there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. What happens in this moment is this angel is given by God. This incense which is a worshipful element and the prayers of the saints are all given together. And so what you literally have... Is an interruption in heaven that what fills the interruption are the prayers of the people on earth. Now, that's a remarkable thing to think about. I mean, again, let's go back to what was happening in chapter 7. Thousands upon thousands, innumerable people singing praise and honor and glory unto the Lord in a loud voice. Echoing throughout the boundaries of heaven are this multitude of angels and humans and beings that are all in a crescendo praising God. And then suddenly it is stopped so that the prayers of the people of earth can be offered. Let me read you something. When I read that today, I was reminded of of something in a book that I've recommended before, but I highly recommend it. John Ortberg called The Life You've Always Wanted. He says, A remarkable thing happens in the book of Revelation. John writes, There was silence in heaven for about half an hour, and during this time an angel with a golden censer comes to the altar, offers incense and representation of prayers arising from earth. Following that comes great acts of judgment on the earth, which we'll talk about in a minute. What is most striking is that these acts come in response to the prayers of the saints. Usually we think of events on earth being interrupted because of actions taken in heaven. However, here it's the other way around. All of heaven comes to a standstill. The endless songs and praises of heavenly hosts suddenly stop. Why? Because someone is praying. All of heaven stops in that moment. So that the prayers of the saints, prayers from people like and possibly who are you and me rising before God. Prayers are heard. Prayers matter. Prayers of real human beings like you and me interrupt heaven. And what happens next is a result of the people on earth praying. Walter Wink says that the message of John's text here is, History belongs to the intercessors, those who believe and pray the future into being. History does not belong to the powerful or the wealthy or the rulers or the armies or the corporations or the global media empires. What they do on their own, apart from God, may look impressive for a time. But the day will come when all merely human actions will be tossed, forgotten, on the ash heap of the dead past. History belongs to people who pray. To those who believe and pray into the future into being. Interceding is what Jesus is doing now. His teaching ministry lasted three years. His intercessory ministry has been going on for over 2,000. Just think about it for a minute. God's people pray and suddenly God acts. I think the representation here is the building prayers over centuries and centuries of God's people saying, it's time, Lord, it's time. A little side note here. I don't think this passage of Scripture promises every prayer we've ever prayed will be answered. Because if we're honest with ourselves, a lot of our prayers are pretty selfish prayers. What it's saying here is prayers that are prayed for the glory of God and the advancement of His kingdom and the justification of His name. Those prayers will be answered. And so we need to, as part of our daily prayer lives, pray those kind of prayers. Pray that God will either save His enemies, those who oppose the gospel and the people of God, or that He would bring them to repentance, or that He would prevent them from thwarting God's people from worshiping. Pray that God will either save those who destroy families and hurt little children, or that He would thwart all their efforts to keep them and keep them from doing further harm. Pray that God would either redeem people who are right now identifying with Satan's plans or if He's not going to redeem them that He would crush them and their evil designs. Those are the prayers that are answered in Revelation chapter 8. Don't miss the connection between the prayers of the saints and the outworking of God's purposes. They go forth. These trumpets blow precisely in response to the prayers of God's people. Now what happens is not pleasant, right? What happens in the rest of chapter 8 is a difficult thing to see. What I want us to remember is they are responses to our prayers and they are what are necessary for God's name to be held high. Secondly, we're going to see here is that God will unleash wrath on the physical world. As we begin to consider these blasts, we're going to see that the judgments that accompany the trumpet blast also relate to the plagues of Egypt. You remember the plagues of Egypt, right? All right. Some of you had a cheat sheet on the board because some of them were on the board when you came in. All right. How many plagues were there? Ten. ten. Yeah, there were ten. It's like, and I, it's like the Ten Commandments, right? We can name all the Ten Commandments, so we should be able to name the ten plagues. All right? So let's talk about them. tell me some plagues that were in Egypt. Blood. 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 Frogs. The frogs. On the Nile. Frogs. Yeah. Gnats. Gnats. Flies. Darkness. Boils. Boils. Okay. We're close enough. All right. <laughs> I won't take time to look at it. That's enough. We got nine of ten. That's a ninety. That's that's an A in some some school rooms. Anthrax that killed their cattle. I looked it up in the commentary. I was reading the commentary. Said it said It's a I about donkey. What commentary is telling you it's anthrax that <laughs> killed the cattle? Yeah, it's a Bible commentary. Okay. You, know. <laughs> All right, well, you bring that to me, and we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> All right. So, as we look through these, I want us to think about how they relate to this. Now, here's why that's important. In relating it to the plagues, it relates to the situation of the people of God at that time. So tell me, what was the situation of the people of God when all this was happening? Where were they? They were in bondage where? In Egypt. And for centuries, what did they cried out? When are you going to come, Lord. How long till our rescue? How long till our deliverance? In fact, in Exodus chapter 2, verse 23, it says, The people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. God heard their groaning. God remembered His covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people and God knew. The, the implication there is the time had finally come. The moment had arrived when God was going to deliver his people the mention of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob reminds us that he delivers based on his promise and so we just as the Israelites prayed God remember what you promised Abraham, Isaac and Jacob now would be a good time to do that God. you remember what happened to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob and what you promised them could you please bring that about now could you please do it now could you rescue us And so when we think about it, we have this promise from Revelation that God's going to deliver His people and He's going to judge the earth. And so appropriate prayer for us is, God, come quickly. That's what John prays at the end of Revelation, isn't it? Lord Jesus, come quickly. Uh, One of the things that that, uh, a few... When Susan's mom passed away um, over three years ago now, uh, on our on my Facebook and and Twitter, I, I just started. I don't know. I just it was one of those times when I was thinking through some things. I I didn't I wasn't supposed to have a part in the funeral. I wasn't supposed to have a part in anything. And you just you know, as a preacher, sometimes the best way you deal with it is preparing something like that. So I started thinking. Well, what, what am I, what's kind of my heart now? Eventually, um, they they wanted me to do the the graveside, and we did not extend a graveside service the day after the funeral, and I used some of this. But I just began to to think about this question of how long, and started to write several posts that were like, um, I will be glad when the day comes that the word death has no meaning in our vocabulary. And just at the end, I would put on Twitter, you call it a hashtag, and it would be on Facebook too, Come Quickly, Lord Jesus. And an appropriate thing for us to pray on a consistent basis is, Lord, I'm tired, and I'm ready. Come Quickly. Come Quickly to pray that prayer over and over again. And what happens in Revelation chapter 8 is God gives us a promise that it's going to happen in order to encourage us to keep praying that it's going to happen. So that when it happens, He can say, this was because of the prayers that you lifted up. So, pray constantly with God's promises in mind. Alright? God judged Egypt in order to deliver Israel, and in doing so, God was responding to the prayers of His people. Well, the book of Revelation is showing us that the same thing is going to happen in a broader way, the ultimate exodus. This time He's not going to judge a nation, He's going to judge what? An entire world. So the fact that God brings on the word of these judgments so closely corresponding to the plates points us to the significance of the deliverance. Look at verse 6. and Notice the devastation that comes. Now the seven angels, who had the seven trumpets, prepared to blow them. The first angel blew his trumpet. Now, quickly. Remember what I said about the seven seals? Right? And that you have seal one, two, three, four, five, six. Okay, And when seal seven is broken, it leads to the seven trumpets. All right. When you have to count four after you've written four you get down. All right, <laughs> and that the seventh trumpet is going to lead to the seven bowls. Okay, and so what we have to realize is these are all kind of included in here. All right, and so as the seven trumpets go, it's not. A lot of people think it's seven bowls or, or seven seals that lead to seven trumpets that lead to seven bowls. This is more of a view that it's all kind of happening together. Alright? If anybody walks in and sees that, they'll have no clue what we're talking about. Talk. Huh? Binary. binary. We're doing some binary code stuff. right? Alright, so verse 6. Now the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to blow them. The first angel blew his trumpet, and there followed hail and fire mixed with blood, and these were thrown upon the earth. And a third of the earth was burned up, and a third of the trees were burned up, and all green grass was burned up. Third of the earth, third of the trees, all green grass. So this description here, the result of this play focused on what is burned up, uh, with no mention of things being crushed by the hailstones, it's more likely that these hailstones were fireballs of hail. So, um, you, you know, in Exodus you have hail that comes and then appears almost as fire. Alright, so it's not fire and ice falling simultaneously, but that that's the appearance they took. Uh, the addition of blood with the fire, ice, all that description would be an absolute horrifying, revolting image. Have you ever seen a field or a house that's been burned? I mean, it is a grisly sight. Let me follow this story. Is it in Colorado or Utah uh, out west somewhere with the... Uh, the dad who pulled his two boys in and then yeah. set the place on fire. I'm sure the scene, especially from the descriptions they've given, inside was horrible. But even from the outside, just seeing the flames and the burnt earth around it. Now imagine a third of the earth looking like that. And what I sometimes get lost in that is how much green grass is left? Nine. None. Makes blood look pretty good. Yeah. It? I mean a third of it is gone. Picture in your mind the charred earth, the ash, the smoke. The results of the first trumpet um, are similar to the seventh plague God brought in Egypt. In Exodus chapter 9, Moses stretched out his staff. The Lord said, thunder and hail and fire ran down to the earth. So it's very similar. Look at verse 8 and 9, because here's the second one. The first one was the dry land. The second one is The sea. The second angel blew his trumpet and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea. And a third of the sea became blood. A third of living creatures in the sea died and a third of the ships were destroyed. Now think about this for a minute. Imagine a mountain on fire plummeting into the sea. Now we've seen tidal waves, tsunamis, all that. Can you imagine the kind of devastation would come from something like that collapsing into the sea. The, sh- the sheer damage that would happen. Then it, blood comes out. Some of that, you know, there's been all kinds of people, well, how can blood fill that much? Well, perhaps if that many fish died, if that much stuff was going on, temperature was changed, you could see that blood coming out. The point is that it is going to be a disaster. Now think about this. A mountain thrown into the sea, huge displacement of water... Sea life dying, ships destroyed, blood. Imagine how much marine life dead, the smell, filth, and disease. The results of the second blast are like the first plague of Egypt, where the Nile was turned to blood and all the fish died. God's making war on creation here. It isn't a mere hailstorm. Or a little hurricane. I just want you to imagine for a minute. I mean, we've all been—we talked about this a couple of weeks ago—caught in the midst of a, of a bad hailstorm or a bad thunderstorm. I mentioned last summer when Susan was in Brazil. We we had a hailstorm at our house that—I mean, it sounded like the hail was coming through the roof. All right. Now imagine that kind of devastation on a global scale. The results of the second trumpet show us again how seriously God takes His name and His glory and the sin that we've involved ourselves in. It shows us that it's a serious crime that all humans whom God made to know Him and glorified Him has used His gifts to rebel against Him. The judgment that comes shows the seriousness of sin. In fact, some people have read this, even believers, and thought, well, that seems like God's overreacting a little bit. The truth is, anybody that that really believes that doesn't understand the glory of God and the sinfulness of man. You know, I, I talked about it Sunday. Anytime in Scripture you see anybody that gets a glimpse of God, God is always... Holier, more righteous, more than they can handle, more than they expect, and they always see themselves as worse off than they expect. That's just the reality. Isaiah, when you think about the disciples, when Jesus gets out and walks on water, what do they all do? They, we're not worthy. When Peter gets up on Mount Transfiguration, what does Peter say? Hey God, we need to build some stuff here because I, you know, I don't. We need some protection from what's going on over here. And here, it's like God's final act is, alright, I've waited long enough. I've given you enough time. My wrath is coming on the sin of the world. Dry land was affected first, then the sea. Here's the third thing. The rivers and the springs. Verse 10 and 11. The third angel blew his trumpet, and a great star fell from heaven, blazing like a torch, and it fell on the third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood, a third of the waters became wormwood, and many people died from the water because it has been made bitter. Like the second trumpet, the effects of the third trumpet correspond to that of the first plague on Egypt affected the Nile. Now, think about this. If the ocean is a disaster, and then rivers and the fresh water goes into disaster, a third of it's gone, Think about the devastation on the earth. You and I take for granted completely our access to good water. What's the thing human body can survive the least amount of time without? Air. What, well, air. There's always a smart one in the room, isn't there? You know what I'm talking about here. What is it? Water, right? If he didn't fix everything in my house known to demand, I'd be really... Upset right now. Uh, no water, right, air, air, and then water. So imagine if a third of the lakes, rivers, oats, all that. Uh, even when we, somebody mentioned the flood, you know. And air going to be compromised with the smoke. Yeah, the yeah. <laughs> you teaming up on me now, John. Wife's on TV, you think you can jump into the fray? Yeah. That's, a very story. That's right. So we, uh, But but even when that happened, there were things you couldn't drink or you had to be cautious because of the water getting out and where it was. Imagine if a third of the water is unusable. Devastating. And then in verse 12, the fourth angel blew his trumpet, a third of the sun was struck, a third of the moon, a third of the stars, so that a third of their light might be darkened and a third of the day might be kept from shining and likewise a third of the night. The effects of the fourth trumpet matches the ninth plague on Egypt where the Egyptians suffered three days of darkness while the Israelites had light. Now, here's the thing that we have to keep in mind. The reason God will judge the world like this is because of the sin of man. Anytime we think that our sin is just our sin and it doesn't affect anybody, we need to be reminded the reason this is happening is because God created man in His image, For his glory and for a relationship with him. And we, our ancestors, and every one of us chose to take the gifts and the things that God had given us and use them in rebellion against him. We hardly bother to think about God much, much less talk about or think about what he's given us and how thankful we are. So the truth is, all of us deserve this kind of judgment. Every last one of us in this room deserves this kind of judgment. We've offended God on a deeply personal level and He is righteous to condemn us for it. That's what makes the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of what Jesus did for us, so unbelievable and so great. It's because of His mercy that Jesus came to redeem us. It's because of His mercy that our end isn't sitting here talking about this and all of us go and was kind of being able to joke a little bit about it. Because of what God has done, we know that we're going to be rescued out of. I mean, really, if we were here and there was no hope and we knew this is how the world was going to end, that's not a very good ending. Hollywood doesn't know how to deal. You know that this is the year the Mayans have chosen that we're going to all die. Uh, in December 2012, the Mayan calendar quit. Now, it wasn't just that they ran out of stones or paper; they just decided this is the end of the world. I guess they were tired. They were they're going to they were They didn't want to write anymore. Um, but Hollywood's made a couple of movies about it. But guess what? In the end, somebody gets out, and there's always hope. Well, without Jesus, this is the end. It's the end. That's it. And verse 13 says this. Then I looked. Alert. I, I looked. I heard an eagle crying with a loud voice as it flew directly overhead. Woe, whoa, woe to those who dwell on the earth at the blast of the other trumpets that the three angels are about to blow. Now think about this. What we just read is pretty devastating, right? We've we, we covered four, and they were pretty devastating. No grass, scorched earth, bloody ocean, undrinkable water. And we've lost light for a third of the time when we had it. And He says, woe for what's about to come. And he doesn't say woe for what's happened. He says woe for what's about to come. <clears throat> a couple of things for us to take out of this and we're going to be done. The first thing we need to take out of this is our prayers matter. Now when you see that first scene where interrupting heaven, we see that our prayers are are significant to God. And any time you ever get frustrated, wonder if God's going to answer your prayer, as long as you're praying things of the kingdom and of God's will and for His glory, your prayers will absolutely be answered. Here's the second thing to consider. All of us in this room know, people, that if the first trumpet started blowing tonight... Would be people who had no hope because they don't know Jesus. Ezekiel, prophet in the Old Testament, God comes to him and says, I've got a message for you to deliver. And this is what he tells Ezekiel. He says, If you warn the people and they don't turn from their sins, I will hold them directly responsible and you will be okay. But if you don't tell them, I will hold them directly responsible and their blood will be on your hands too. So the question that I have is, who are you praying for that if that first trumpet started to blow, they'd be in the woe is me category? You see, when it says the people of the earth, it doesn't just mean people that are living here. What it means there is people who are living by the earthly system, contrary to God, away from Him. The trumpet blast in chapter 8 depicts God, glorifying His name in response to the prayers of His people. God will answer the prayers of His people. So be sure that we ought to be praying as we were taught to pray. And we ought to be taking the truth to those who need it. The question that's been asked for so long is, how long, O Lord, are You going to continue? The comforting thing for us in the fact that it is could be at any time is He just says a little longer. The motivating thing for us and for those of us who have loved ones in danger of not being with Him for eternity is that He says it's only a little longer. So as we go into our lives, try to think of somebody this week that you need to let know again. Maybe you've let them know, but you need to let them know again the importance. And the only way to escape this is Jesus.